Okay, let's start our interview. Blog Talk Radio. Celebrating their 20th year in radio broadcasting with news not heard in the news. The International Taz and Paula Show interviews experts from all walks of life, bridging research and personal life journeys, revealing new ways to unleash life with a passion of a heartbeat. And now, here's Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. We have such a great guest and program to share with you. Paula, I feel like the weeks we've been living from the beginning of this year have capsized, released, and brought a new perspective on life. It's simply raising us to a whole other level. Our guest today, lead author Candace L. Talmadge, is an inner shift specialist and has been a professional writer since 1976. Uh, She has been a syndicated political columnist and written full-time or freelance for major print and online media. About emotional and spiritual healing. Today we will talk about her latest nonfiction book, which was co-authored was Jenna L. Simons, titled The Afterlife Healing Circle, How Anyone Can Contact the Other Side. I love that. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show. I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Well, Taz, good news. Candace's exciting spiritual self-help book teaches readers how to contact not only departed ones, but encompasses as well children who are not... Yet born. Wow, I have never um, seen that done before. This is really great. Yeah. And nearly three, <laughs> nearly three decades ago, Candace encountered an alternative healing method called Sunan therapy that enabled her to resolve many of her emotional and spiritual wounds. This therapy also helped her become familiar with the intimate link between spirituality, energy, and healing. It introduced her to some of her past lives, and those of families and friends. We are definitely in for a treat this afternoon. Candice, we are so happy to have you with us. Welcome to our show. Well, thank you for inviting me to be a guest. Um, hello to you, Taz and Paula, and hello to everybody who who is listening. <laughs> well, you were you have a you know your your past to it, uh, writing fiction. Um, well, I've written fiction. You- I've written fiction. I've written nonfiction. I started out as a journalist, um, so I've done a lot of writing over the years, and um, both sides of the aisle, fiction and nonfiction. Well, what uh, brought you and uh, the co-author together to write this book? How did this... Well, it sort of came about because... Well, you know, there's a saying, when the student is ready, um, the teacher appears... Well, in my case, it was when the client was ready, the healer appears, all right? Um, I just had some really deep, unresolved emotional and spiritual issues. This was back in, I was in my early 30s. This was back in the mid-1980s. 
And I was in trouble and I didn't really even know it consciously, although obviously at the soul level I did know. So I encountered Jana and she had a rather interesting form of emotional and spiritual healing resolution in a therapy called Sunon therapy. I didn't know I needed it, but after she gave me a little sample of it, uh, I realized I did. And so I went through that first four sessions, I'll call it, and it was like an 180-degree life changer for me. It really started the ball rolling. And I wanted to help Jenna make this therapy available to a wider audience and help her be a teacher to more people. So we got together and we started the Satva Institute. And uh, it sort of just kind of went on from there, as I recount in the book, uh, about nine months later or so, in the spring of 1987, I attended my first uh, afterlife healing circle when the mother of one of Jana's students uh, heard about the possibility of being able to contact her deceased mother. And that was an issue that this poor woman had been wrestling with at that point for 20 years. She had been through intensive psychiatric treatment. She had been through psychotherapy and it none of it had been very useful for her for other things but it hadn't helped in this issue so uh with her daughter this woman i call her clara jones in the book she went through that afterlife healing circle and i was one of the participants and once again it just kind of knocked my socks off because it was just so emotional and so uplifting and so healing and it really did help this woman so, you know, I started taking little notes of, of other afterlife healing circles and found out that, yes, you can do this for children who are not yet born, too. Because the soul is a continuum. It exists before the birth of the physical body. It exists after the death of the physical body. So it doesn't really matter whether you want to contact that soul before it's in a physical body, while it's in a physical body, which is what we often do, during Sunon therapy, because you communicate soul to soul in Sunon therapy, or after that physical body dies, it doesn't hmm. matter. Have you, you had, still do it. have you had any ch- children that's not born yet uh, come through and said that they are uh, at one point was a de- deceased relative of the mother? Um, not especially, although they do talk about they have talked about past lives when they've been together. But not specifically, I'm your deceased mother, all right? That's not happened, but it could happen, okay? I'm not saying it can't. It just has not been my experience. You know, this is pretty incredible. I've never, I I told Paula initially, I said, you know, when I was in my 20s and before, I never, ever thought about being able to converse with a child that I was that I was um, pregnant with, I'm going, wow, that is, that is so eye-opening. <laughs> and, and I asked Paula if, she'd, if she had thought about it, and she said no, too. I, I just, I think that's so incredible to have that option. I mean, that is a beautiful option that I don't, you know, I, you know, maybe people are more aware of that now on this level, but I sure wasn't back then. And, uh, so to have this ability, you know, you are really, this is a, a walking, this is walking love, literally, well, for the family. 
Well, ahead. it is, and it's very helpful because when you think about it, you know, the little darlings arrive all naked and screaming, and guess what? They don't come with a user guide. You know, there's no instruction manual, all right? They just come yeah. out plain. And the thing about it is that there are t- tons of great parenting books and parenting blogs, but they talk about children in general, not this child in particular. Talking to the soul of that child, whether the child is not yet born or whether the child is already here, enables a parent to find out certain things. First, what's the child's purpose? What's the child's lessons? What is the child here to, to try to learn and grow into? We Most of us choose a purpose and we choose some lessons that we want to focus on for a physical lifetime. All right, And if parents know about that, then they can step back, chill out, and just be loving supporters of that soul's latest physical childhood and realize that this soul does not come in a clean slate. Let's put that little enlightenment shibboleth to rest, all right? (laughs) Souls do not come in clean slates. They have issues, they have wisdom, and they have problems. And they bring them with them from physical lifetime to physical lifetime. So it really helps parents to know about that, get a heads up, so to speak, and then the parents can just be wise stewards. You know, we don't own our kids, and we certainly can't tell them what to do past about the age of six months, I think. You know, they're their own little beings. So how do you help them? How do you guide them? How do you be informed about what this unique little soul here is here to do, is here to grow into, is here to experience? That's what contacting that soul does for a parent. Oh, what a gift, I would say, because to know that ahead of time is so many things can be helped by knowing that instead of finding it out as it happens. Well, even now, if you some... find it out as it even if you find it out as it happens or you find it out after the fact, nothing is set in concrete and things can be healed, but it does involve that soul to soul communication. So, you know, there, I talk about soul communication, and we certainly do that in the afterlife healing circle, whether it's you know for a person who has died or a soul not yet born. We also do it during soon-on therapy, but we do it at a very much deeper level. We go into issues that are really not appropriate for, for other people to witness or, or hear about. They're private. So the afterlife healing circle is just generally to say hello and get some information or to say goodbye and get some information. And just be assured that your loved one is not lost to you forever, but is going on into a new dimension or a new space. If there are issues, if there are really deep issues with a soul or other souls, then that's more appropriate to an individual type of of healing session. That's pretty wonderful to be able to have a, a a mother can have that capability of going in and checking with her baby in advance. Well, and it's open to dads too. I mean, you know, dads need to be there front and center as well. I much yeah. prefer to do. I much prefer to do that when we've got both parents because you know they they do share an equal responsibility, and more and more dads are wanting to be a big part of their kids' lives, which I think is a very positive development. You know, kids need two parents. All right, they need a balance of call that a balance of energies. We've traditionally labeled it male and female. But what they really need are two opposites who have come together 
and the the opposites of the energy, you know, the strengths of one, the complementing strengths of another, kids fare well when they have that kind of support. And whether it comes in the form of a male and a female or two men or two women, it doesn't really matter. They just need to know they have a foundation of support and protection and uh, and love. Now, do some souls come in to heal Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Healing. Well, healing is definitely a purpose that souls choose. Many souls choose. But you can heal in many, many, many different ways. All right? You don't need a, a formal title or a degree. All right? Again, purpose is very general. Souls will choose to teach, to heal, to counsel, to bring creativity to express beauty in this world, whether that's through music or art or painting or cooking or whatever. doesn't matter. So souls do choose this type of purpose. And again, don't be rigid in how you interpret whether or not you are serving that purpose because you will find generally that in some manner or form you've always been serving your purpose, even if you didn't consciously remember what it was. Hmm. Uh-huh. Well, let's like, um, I'll do this as an example. Um, women, you know, like I have a friend that she she's, feels like she's come in to um, actually heal what's been happening to women in her family for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is that true? I mean, in some instances? It might be true in a specific instance, but again... Your purpose, and it's for you, and you, it has to be equitable, all right? You don't, you don't exist to serve a purpose unless the purpose also serves you, all right? You're not a slave to purpose. You are in pursuing a purpose because it brings you joy, or you think it might be fun, or it might tie into some of the lessons and, and learnings that you want, like learn to love yourself more, or learn to be more open and sharing. You know, there are all sorts of lessons that, that each soul determines he or she needs, all right? So, and you're not bound by a purpose. I mean, if you choose a purpose in a lifetime, you can always take on another purpose if you know, you can make a new decision. Again, nothing is set in concrete or stone because we live in a, in a universe that is open-ended and evolving, all right? That's that's the nature of love, open-ended, evolving, and not chained to the past unless we have unresolved issues. Well, I know there's the, the biggest question that, that's asked to psychics and um, is what is my purpose? So in this type of work, you can actually find out what your purpose is? Oh, absolutely. There's a number of ways to do that. You can either go in and have a soul talk with yourself, which you can. You can ask your spirit guides because, believe me, as soon as you chose that purpose, you attracted to you a group of souls who definitely wanted to serve that purpose, but they didn't want to do so in a physical body. And you made agreements with a number of them to be your spirit guides and be with you from before birth until after death. So your guides know what your purpose is, they can tell you, or you can just do a soul communication with your own unconscious or spiritual body and uh, determine that purpose. 
Well, can guides come and go? I mean, if you don't need them at this point and they leave and a new group come in? Well, actually what guides will do is they will just simply step back and lend their love to your life, all right? They may not be active because you may not be uh, employing that part of your purpose that requires that particular guide's expertise, all right? It doesn't mean they're not there. It doesn't mean they're not lending you their love and support, which you can feel it at some level. But they may not just be as, as forward. But you, the guides who always before, one is called your protector. That's a label we use. It simply means that this is the guide who keeps you phys- safe in the physical world or does his or her best to do that, provided you will pay attention all right, and you will have a spiritual growth guide. This is the guide guide most concerned with your own spiritual growth while you're in this physical body. And then you may have a guide whose specialty is healing or teaching or whatever, and that guide will probably be around you and, and pretty active too. But again, it just depends. Um, Jenna has one guide who is tinkers with everything. I mean, he can fix things and. Recently, I found out that he is keeping up with things, and he knows about computers too. So, <laughs> so now I call I call on him when you know when I'm like, okay, I think I have a problem with my computer. Give me some help here, and you know the the message will eventually get through. All right. Well, that's something I need as a computer guide. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But and and, and let can... me let me suggest that if you want to add a guide to your group. Go through your current guides and ask them, say, you know, hey, can you can you find a, a soul who has this kind of expertise and vet, vet this soul and then introduce them to me? That's what I do. I mean, I started out back when Jenna first took me to meet my guides back in 1986. I had a core group of six guides. I don't know. I think I have like 13 or 14 hanging around now, you know, because I have gone through them and added certain guides for certain things. Now, are there guides that can help you uh, contact people on the other side? Absolutely. Your own guides, however many you have, they are the key to making the afterlife healing circle safe and successful. All right? Because as we lay out, you know, we, 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 we put the steps in. We talk about them, and then we do an appendix in the book that has the steps in brief. And right now, you can throw out everything we said except this one thing. Always ask your guides for protection. If you do that, then you will not have any of the idiocy that can go on when you just throw open the door and go, hey, is anybody out there? Well, guess what? Somebody's out there. Somebody's always out there. (laughs) But we have free will. (laughs) And if they want, I call them cosmic jerks, but there are some entities with real malevolent intent. But they cannot violate your free will. So as long as you don't open the door for them, invite them into your life, they can't bother you. But if you do this, if you just say, is there anybody out there? Well, then they say, sure, I'm out here, and I'm going to come and really just give you the most major headache you've ever had. Your guides act as spiritual bouncers, all right? Um, Gatekeepers. (laughs) Gatekeepers, exactly. They will allow only the soul you are trying to contact. That's the soul they will allow into the the circle, no one else. And it could be a group of souls. It doesn't matter. But the the only souls they will allow in will be the souls you want to speak to. But you have to ask every time because, again, you always have free will. They can't violate your free will. 
So if you ask, they will be glad to help, but they need your permission. Well, I, I must work with a group a lot because they they say we a lot. Mm-hmm. And believe me, there is a we, okay? There's like a lot of them, okay? So yes, and that's you know they're just they're just taking consensus of what they what they are thinking about anything and 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 pr- expressing that to you as a we. Uh, I you know when I try to contact someone that who recently has passed away, I've gotten a message that um, that they're not ready to uh, communicate, but I could communicate with their guide. Has has mm-hmm. that ever happened to you? Uh, I doesn't surprise me. Um, I don't know if that it's ever. I can't recall off the hand right now whether that's ever happened to me. But that does not surprise me, because when you when your physical body dies, you go through a transition. I mean, to, to borrow from Shakespeare, it is like moving to another country. All right, and there are things you do to prepare, and there are things you do after you get there. All right, that, that consume your attention and your time. You you have to make adjustments. And having moved to another country, I can tell you it takes time. It takes quite an adjustment. So you might be wanting to talk to someone who just isn't in the space to talk to you or your friend wanted to talk and not ready to talk to your friend. But yes, you can talk to the guide. Um, guides will, you know, if it pertains to you and that person has a relationship with you, your guides will will definitely give them information. But it's not yeah. like they're going to blab to anybody. They're going to blab to friends or family or, if in, in our case, if I'm doing intuitive counseling with someone, I'm not guessing, I'm not even, I'm not trying to use my own wisdom. I'm going straight to that client's guides and saying, okay, what's, what's the story here? What's going on? And they'll talk yeah. to me about it. When my mother, when my mother died um, and... She promised to let me know when she went over, and she did. However, her mother um, showed up and talked with me, and then I said, how's my mom? And she said, she can't talk right now, dear one. She said, but soon, you know, um, Mm -hmm. she needs to rest because she had quite an ordeal. And um, she said, you know, soon you'll be able to talk with her. But anyhow, you know, so, yeah, yeah. you know, my grandmother came through, so that was really interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's that doesn't again that doesn't surprise me. And yes, you know, you definitely need a little time to chill out after you've made the transition. But pretty soon, yeah. you know, they'll be able to talk, and that's that's the wonderful thing. Oh, you know, um, really, what we're all talking about is something that I can't stress enough: is this concept of community. Because when you come together in a circle, you form a small community. But it isn't just the physical, all right? It, just does, it isn't just the beings in physical body. It's your guides, and it's God, and it's the community of all souls. So our concept of community, let's expand it. Why limit it to merely the physical? There are many other dimensions that are part of our community. And there's no reason we can't tap into them and benefit from communicating with them. Now, do, uh, now, do souls on the other side go through like a school? Uh, because um, cause I've received that message before that they're in a class. I'm sure they do. I am sure they do. I'm not. I'm, I don't know the particulars of it. It may be just a very informal school. 
But if you think about it, we're kind of all in school right now on Earth, okay? It's, it's about constantly learning. So, and, you know, and having fun too and, and just growing and being. But every experience that you have contributes to your store of wisdom because you can't really be wise until you've experienced it. You can know something but not have experienced it. And the wisdom only comes when you've experienced it, which is why souls keep coming back because they want to experience life in different forms. They want to have different experiences. Life is very different for a white male born in the United States than it is someone born as a woman in Africa or Asia. All right? Very different. These are all contexts in which your experience will help you get it at the emotional and spiritual level. And the soul is curious. The soul wants to know. So the soul mm-hmm, takes yeah. on the soul takes on many guises in terms of physical bodies trying to find out. Now your book, um, The Afterlife or yeah, Healing Circle, how anyone can contact the other side. What makes this book different, Candace, from any other of your books? Well, what makes it different is it's really uh, the first how-to book that I've written. And it's, it is, a, it is a, a manual. You can sit down, read it, and if you practice it, you can actually do circles for yourselves and for others. And it is, it, it's, it's what I call grassroots spirituality. It's a tool. It's designed to help people experience their own abilities to connect with the other side, their own intuitive abilities, their own creative abilities, their own imaginations, if you will, because imagination is just as real as anything else, all right? But this is hard for people to grasp because it isn't physical. They can't perceive it with their physical senses. I'm talking about perception with your non-physical senses, your soul senses, or some people call them psychic senses. I also wrote it, or Jen and I also wrote it, to encourage people to do for themselves. You can't always. Often you need help. But there's a certain element of accomplishment and empowerment that comes from at least giving it a try. Well, I noticed well, that Raymond Moody, uh, Raymond Moody uh, wrote your foreword. That mm-hmm. is, I mean, he is something else. How did you uh, meet him or how did he get involved in your book? Well, um, uh, I know a woman who has a Facebook group, and she's also one of the founders of the Afterlife Awareness Conference. And she put me in touch with him, and he agreed to review the manuscript. And then he said, I really like it. And he <laughs> he said, if you want an agent, I can get you an agent. And as soon as the agent heard that Dr. Moody had recommended me in the book, he said, okay, I'll read your manuscript. And that's the rest is history. The agent, you know, three weeks later we had a book contract and Dr. Moody agreed to write the foreword. So, you know, again, it's, um, you know, and this is after I had struggled for decades to find publishers for my work, you know, actual publishers uh-huh. as opposed to self-publishing. So, uh, you know, it's just the, when, the, when the energy is right, it's right. That's what I can, can say. It's a miracle in the working. How did you become interested in contacting the dead? Were you like this when you were younger? Was there different things that happened with you that you understood this and then kind of walked forward with it? 
Well, when I was, I think, I must have been in the sixth grade. I was 12, I think, or 11. No, somewhere around then. My mother had a friend who was dying of cancer, and I had gone to the hospital to see her. Well, one early one Saturday morning, I had a dream, and we, had, my mom and I were in the hospital uh, to see, I'll just call her Mrs. Jones. And the nurse said, oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Jones died at X and such time this morning. And then I woke up, and it was Saturday morning, so I was, you know, going to make breakfast, you know, or to set the table for breakfast. And my mom came in and said, oh, I got a phone call last night. Mrs. Jones died at X time this morning. I was like, ooh, yeah. Um, And I'd always come in, even before that, I'd always come in with an awareness that uh, the conventional wisdom isn't always right and isn't always wise. I mean, and I took this skepticism of everything. Um, to my work as a journalist, so I always I always knew that there was another explanation, and that everything history, religion, science, medicine, everything it wasn't the whole story. There were there was there was just something missing. All right, and what I really I couldn't put it into words until after I start I became a soon on therapist, and I'd done some of this you know, been a client and been a therapist and done this work and talked to my guides and a group of guides of healers called themselves the Sunan Society. And what was missing was the spiritual and emotional component. All right, we're trying to live out of half of ourselves, the mind, the conscious mind, and the physical body. And if we try to interpret life and its purpose through that, we will always be less than. We will always, there will always be something missing. We've got to put in the emotional and spiritual components into our lives because traditional religion is two hours once a week. That doesn't work for me. All right? You can't possibly say you're a religious person and separate it out two once a week. It has to be who you are. And that's what I wanted. I wanted it to be who I am. And. I'm a work in progress, but it's a lot more of who I am now than it was then. <laughs> was your mother aware at the time that you um, that you actually had this dream? No, actually, I didn't. I never told her. Well, you know, my um, when my father passed away, that was an accident, so we weren't expecting it. And before I was notified, my son got he had just gone to bed, and he got up and he said. Pop was here, and I said, "Oh, that must have been in your dream." He goes, "No, he stood at the bottom of my bed and said goodbye." Mm-hmm. So then, maybe a half hour went by, and then I was notified. Yeah, and he did. He went in yep. spirit to say goodbye to his grandson. Wow. Yep. Mm-hmm. That happens so frequently, so amazingly frequently. I remember reading a an article in the wall this was the front page of the wall street journal it was back in like 1989 big story about a terrible tragic accident um over the uh asian you know over the pacific in which a side of a plane blew out and the seats you know there were several people strapped into those seats who went into the ocean 
and one the mother of one of those men uh, woke up in the morning to see her son glowing at the foot of her bed and saying goodbye to her. And then hours later, she got the word that he had been killed over the Pacific. That happens all the time. This one just happened to make the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Well, um, just by people that I know that's had contacted people on the other side, it is so healing. It's so healing. Um, yes, know, and it's and your, yes, it is absolutely healing. We must be hardwired with this need to say goodbye. This need to feel that. Our loved ones may be in another country, you know, dead, deceased, whatever, but not lost to us forever. And now that's not logical, it's not rational, and it doesn't have to be so to be valid. And one of the things I have always objected to about traditional psychotherapy and psychiatry is that what they can't rationalize, they tend to dismiss. But this is a very deep-seated need within each human being. And they're finally beginning to say, okay, we can't beat them, so maybe we'll join them. And they're beginning to acknowledge that this kind of resolution is needed for people to get some relief from their grief. And there's there's something called induced after-death communication. I've read a little bit about it. Um, and people are doing different types of things. The, the difference between what they do and I do is that in whether I'm in the afterlife healing circle in a group or whether I'm working one-on-one with a client, my clients don't go there alone. They don't encounter their deceased loved ones or their children not yet born alone. I am there with them. We go through this experience together big difference. Yeah. And the reason that's important is that because it, especially in therapy which is private, the deeper stuff. These are issues that have bothered this person, but they're not my issues. So that I can be a loving, more um impartial experience and witness and say, "Have you considered this?" And again, I'm getting the information from their guides. It's not that I'm so wise. It's just that my guides are in the, and their guides are in there, in the experience too. And they will help. Together, we find a new understanding, an expanded understanding of of what transpired and what this person misunderstood. And that's why I love the afterlife healing circle and I love the kind of energy work I do because I don't have to guess at what my clients went through. I was there with them. That's a huge difference. Is that, is that the is that the Sudan? That's the Sudan therapy. Yes, and the afterlife healing circle too. If I take part in a healing circle, I am with the person in grief or the parent to be, and I am perceiving exactly what this person is perceiving, and that's what I'm there for to help this person recognize and and uh, understand what it is, what the information is, and what the child or the departed loved one wants to say. So, Candace, are you saying that you have um, a group that come together online to support and experience new vision uh, or, you know, to experience something different? Is is that done on a regular basis? 
It's done, well, it's not online. The work I do, I have to be one-on-one with my client, except I can take you to meet your guides over the phone, okay? That's fun. Um, Or I can do it in person. But when we do the afterlife healing circle, it is a group of people who come together in person. And when I work with people at a deeper level individually, yes, I have to do it in person. Um, there's, There's just some reasons that I can't do it over the phone. And now that ther- the therapy you're talking about is, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. are there classes for that or a book on no, that? No, it's it's done individually. It is a it is a it's a. I would never do this as a group. I don't believe in group re- regressions or group therapy or not not for this stuff. All right, there may be a perfectly valid reason for having groups to talk about stuff, but this goes too deep. It cuts right into, you know, the uh, the nitty gritties, so to speak. I mean, I remember one of my first clients was a guy who'd been in self-help and 12-step groups for ages. And he looked at me after the session was over and he said, you know, I've this is the first time I've ever been able to admit that my dad was an alcoholic. And that was important. That was crucial for his healing. All right? That's how deep this stuff goes. It goes very deep. So you want to do it privately, individual, and you want to be there so that you can help them you know, process stuff, because it it rearranges stuff at the emotional level, and then the mental body has to catch up, all right? So you need time to talk about it and kind of put it into perspective. So, I mean, can someone, uh, is there, my question is, if if you wanted to be a therapist with this, uh, is there... um, place you could learn how to do this or well or jenna used book? to teach people jenna used to teach people this okay. therapy but she's retired so um but i you know we again we still do the therapy on an individual basis with people we feel will benefit from it because this is a very powerful therapy it's not for everybody and it shouldn't be for everybody i mean there are many types of therapy because there are many ways people need and want to heal all right this just happens to be one way that i like and it works really well but it ain't, it ain't everybody's cup of tea, and that's fine with me. How long have you been doing this kind of work, Candace? Well, I've been a Sunam therapist since 1988. And, uh, you know, is there a place I, I, where... Go ahead, yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is there a list of people that do this therapy? That yeah, but there's a website more. called sunan.com, S-U-N-A-N.com, and that's sort of about the therapy. It's kind of an old website. Um, I'll have to go in one of these days and update it. But that'll explain it um, a little bit better. And there's, we've also written a nonfiction book that sort of is a rundown on what Sunam Therapy has taught Jana and me about healing. And that's called Hope is in the Garden, Healing Resolution Through Unconditional Love. And that's available again online or, you know, as an e-book. Yeah, I think I read a little bit when I was going through your books. I read there was like a chapter that you could read. It was really good. Well, it's, you know, again, it's people, I mean, you know, Carolyn Mace, for crying out loud, even write a book, wrote a book about why people don't heal. Um, people can only heal and grow when they're emotionally prepared to do so. All right? You can't, you know, like the the song says, you can't hurry love, you can't hurry growth either. <laughs> you know, we all grow in our own way in our own time. You know, 
like uh, the guy, what the, the actor said, we will sell no ta- wine before it's time. Well, you know, you can't really uh, get get that big aha before you're ready. So I always say, let people blossom in their own way, but when they are ready, and one of the things that we do is we set up situations to um, push ourselves along, because love doesn't conquer everything, unfortunately. Love can't conquer fear. All right? So until our pain is greater than our fear, we're going to stay where we are. And if you look at what's going on right now, how so many of our institutions are just crumbling, uh, it's because we're trying to grow. We're trying to move past. We're trying to find new ways of sustaining ourselves. But we're scared. Change is frightening. Mm-hmm. It's frightening because it disrupts our energy fields. And when I talk about energy, I'm talking about the aura or consciousness or the soul, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Pick your favorite label. doesn't matter to me. But in Soon on Therapy, we address the very thing that makes change so terrifying, and that's judgment against self. Yeah. And that literally goes in. And every, every you know, just like a, you have unique fingerprints and a unique iris and unique DNA, those are physical reflections of your basic soul vibrational pattern. Every soul has a unique frequency, and that's how we recognize each other from life to life, even though consciously we can't place someone, but I know you from somewhere. Well, yeah, you've been around that block with that soul. But just as that's supposed to vibrate at a certain, just as it's supposed to vibrate at a certain certain frequency, self judgment gets in there, and self judgment doesn't vibrate. It fixes reality and says it's always going to be this way. And when you've got self judgment hiding out in your emotional energy field, that's what makes it your. That's what makes flow or change difficult because it blocks the flow. It's almost like we write our own story, mm-hmm. and the story's not true. <laughs> well, it's not true if we're writing it out of self-judgment. All right? One of the things that's most important for people is to live their own personal truth, and that will be unique to each person. And I'm not there to tell another person, this is your personal truth. In my healing work, what I try to do is scrape off all the self-judgment so that they can get back to their personal truth and live it and even bring it forward and update it. But you can't do it as long as self-judgment is holding you back and tying you to the past. Because the past is never over as long as your emotions are stuck there. And that's what self-judgment does. It's, it sticks and pins your emotions to the past. You know, when you were, um, when I was speaking about group, therapy or just coming together with some individuals, you know, sometimes being able to listen to someone else's story allows you to connect into areas you hadn't thought about. And uh, so that's why I kind of felt that maybe sometimes it's interesting to be able to have that it's like going around with people that really care uh-huh. and and yet when things arrive like that it gives you a new perspective on things 
like, oh, that's why I feel that way, or I hadn't thought about that, you know? Yes, and it's extremely helpful. Yeah. My concern is that, you you know, group therapy can be very supportive, but at, 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 at the same time, if you get people together who have a common wound, they don't really have any way of climbing out of that wound, if you know what I mean. They can share yeah. and support each other, but you've got to have a new perspective in there somewhere because you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. Right, exactly. That's... So there's a strength and a limitation to to group therapy and group support groups. They okay. certainly can provide the emotional support of, I've been where you are, I've walked in your shoes, I I have a sense of what you're feeling, and that's very valid. But they also need, at some point, people will be ready to say, okay, I can move on now. And that's especially hard in grief, all right, especially challenging. So that's why it's so important to connect with the departed and just give each other permission to move on because you both need it. I mean, the dead often need to connect with the the so-called living every bit as much as those in body need to connect with the other side. Now, does does the grieving from the person that's here, does that slow down the process for the person on the other side because they're worried about the person that's grieving? It can if the person if the if the soul on the other side allows it to. That's why souls want to connect and say goodbye because they they you know often they want to move on and they do care and they don't want to abandon someone until they know that that person is reasonably comfortable. So they will, they will do their best to connect, all right, with the other side. The problem is we're not paying attention to the messages from the soul, all right? You know, or we think, oh, it's just my imagination. Well, yeah, it is. Duh. That's what your imagination is, all right? Mm-hmm. It's valid. Pay attention. So, yes, there is a need on both sides, a need for resolution, a need to say goodbye, a need to say, please, go on. Be happy in your new life. I love you stuff that's really important it's amazing to me that we haven't that we don't facilitate this all the time for people all right it's so important our our ghost um souls that have that are stuck and they haven't moved on it depends i mean you sort of have to connect with that soul all right and find out what the issue is some are stuck because they don't even realize that they, they their physical bodies have died, all right? If it was a complete accident or surprise, maybe be wandering around not even connecting yet that they have their physical body has died. Other souls have issues that, you know, anger that just blinds them to any other option, all right? So they'll stay in that space because they're angry or they're fearful or they've got something they, they want to resolve and they just can't let go of it, just like people on Earth. They get into these ruts and they can't let go. I mean, the the issue is here. What you are in a physical body, you will be without a physical body. You just won't have a body that we perceive as physical. That's the key. You've got to get that. Once you get that, things begin to make a little bit more sense. When you wrote this... (laughs) When you wrote this book, Candace, was there anything in that book that came forth when you were writing it that you were a, a bit shocked or surprised or thought, wow, I never thought of that? 
in this book, not so much. I mean, that more happens to me when I'm writing my my novel and characters kind of pop in. I'm like, where the heck did you come from? But there it is. You know, there's that character, that darn character. But in this book, I pretty much knew what I wanted to say. I've got, you know, these are things that have happened to me as a as a therapist and as a member of you know of, of these groups. But what did and it you know just sort of really it was fun it was a it was fun to to ask for more people's experiences you know there's plenty of experiences about the dead and the not yet born reaching out to the to the living all right and it was fun to get those stories and it was fun to talk to the people about other kinds of circles and where they came from you know and and that was really interesting like Meg Jordan's circles that bring together very different types of practitioners, you know, traditional alternative, and they they get to a group and they help one person with what the issue is. I think that's a wonderful idea. I just I just think there's so much validity to that. And you know, I think that it, hopefully, eventually, that will will heal and transform the practice of medicine and the practice of, of um, mental health too, because it's not sustainable the way it's going. Is there a story you can um, tell us, a story or two that that are that it just kind of tickles your heart to know that it took place from another person? Well, it just um, mostly the, it tickled my heart. I think the story about um, the student who whose two-year-old granddaughter started biting in uh, in her preschool this was many years ago you know she had the daycare and the little girl you know at two years old you can't ask her what's going on so the grandmother had a, an epiphany and said i'll ask my little granddaughter's guide so she did and the guides told her this is what's going on this is what you do to stop it and sure enough it worked and you you sit there you know as a teacher and a healer and you go dang this is exactly why it's so important to connect with your spirit guides and the spirit guides of those you love. This is what I call practical spirituality. This is not confined to two hours a week. This is walking, talking. It it lives and breathes in your daily life. And it has many benefits and blessings that, that come up and you can just relish them because we could do this, you know, Think how much easier it would be to have a pre-verbal child if you could just connect with the spirit guides and figure out and get the get the lowdown on what's going on with the child. I wish more doctors were intuitive. I wish more doctors would go to their their patients' guides and say, "What's the illness here? What's the issue?" They won't, but they could. So, was it just a particular well, we, person that this person was biting, or was it was it just a um, she was just starting to bite because, you know, I don't know the particulars. She didn't really get into it, but obviously something was bothering the little girl, and it was very out of character for her. But again, you, at that age, it's impossible to say, you know, to have a little conversation. And it's even impossible. You can say no, but you can't really explain why it's not appropriate. So you just you need something or someone who has some insights into what's going on, what's going on with the child at the emotional and spiritual level. Her guide, the little girl's guides did. They knew. They're there. They know the child. I was going to ask you, when did your book your uh, book come out? Excuse me. Just 
when did you, when was your book published? The Afterlife Healing Circle was published in June. Oh, okay. Because I, I looked up on, the reason why I'm asking, I looked up on Amazon. They hadn't put it up there yet. So if people want to order it. It's on Amazon. Um, oh. It, they it should be. other books. Hmm. Okay, well, last time I looked, it was on. Okay. Because people that are listening would, would want to order a book, and the title well, of it is The Afterlife Healing Circle. How anyone can can contact the other side, and there's also a website, um, thehealingcirclebook.com. They can get more information there too, sort of all about the book and where you can find it and that kind of thing. And we're talking to Candace Talmage. That's T A L M A D G E. You want to look under her name because. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who would love to start a circle. Paula, I see it on online. Oh, okay. Yeah, it yeah. Is, it's online. Okay, and um, wow, is there anything that we haven't touched upon, Candace, that you would like to share? Well, I just sort of like to go over, you know, and emphasize that. Anyone can contact the other side. You're probably more in contact with the other side than you realize because you're not, A, you're not paying attention. B, you don't have a self-confidence and trust. And C, you don't recognize the information that's coming to you through the four soul senses. There are four soul senses, not three, at least four soul senses. Okay? Um, Usually people talk about clairvoyance, clairaudience, and clairsentience. Um, but clairsentience is actually two. It's both the it's both physical sensations on the body and a sort of knowing that just come pops into your head and you just know or you're aware. We call that soul awareness, and that's a distinct channel of information versus the feeling, the soul feeling, which registers as feelings or sensations on the physical body. So we all have those four channels of information. We're stronger in two and weaker in the other two. The two that we're strongest in, we think everybody else is strong in too, but but they're not. So you've got to recognize, and again, your guides can help you. You can ask them, what are my two strongest soul senses? What are my two weaker ones? And very often, when your guides want to get your attention, they will go through your two weaker senses. Well, my what? Guides, Say that again? Yeah, when Why they want to get you- Go ahead. Say that again. They go through your weaker senses? Because you're so used to information coming through your strong senses, you don't pay attention to it. I will give you an example. I'm strongest in soul vision or clairvoyance. I have pictures all the time running through my head. I don't pay any attention to them. But I'm third strongest in soul awareness, so when I when an awareness pops into my head, boy, it gets my attention right off the bat. Yeah, it'll make you cry sometimes. <laughs> well, no, but it, but it's a specific way of getting information, a channel of information, and it comes in certain forms. Information yeah. can come in pictures. It can come in feelings. It can come in, in images. It can come in words, either words inside your head or voices outside your head. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But yeah. Jana is uh, dead last in in soul understanding, which is clairaudience. So when she was a you know 
she was in the car and someone was about to broadside her, but she couldn't see it. Her protector used that sense, that channel, and said, stop now. And it was like someone next to her sitting in the car yelled at her. So she stopped. But, of course, there was no one physical in the car with her. Wow. And yet she heard that voice as clearly as you hear my voice now. Do you, do you explain this in your your book? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It is okay. so important to recognize that you have these senses. You're just not paying attention. And when you do pay attention, you may not trust what you're getting. But just remember... The soul senses aren't perfect either. Just, you know, like we can make a a mistake adding up a column of figures. We don't say, oh, well, this math stuff, it's not valid because I made a mistake adding up a column of figures. We just say, no, I'll try again. Apply that to your soul senses. Make it a game. The more you can get comfortable with them and recognize them, the better they will work for you when you really need them. And so these well, circles, thank you. Uh, you know, people, the people that have these circles, do you see them growing uh, in their senses? Well, I think that when you when you practice and then come to a circle and maybe get a, some bits of information, yeah, if anything, it's just growing in self-trust, growing at, wow, I can do this for myself or I can help other people do it. I have more abilities than I realized, and that's a plus. Yeah, that is. That's beautiful. By the way, Candice Talmadge, her website is thehealingcirclebook.com. It's a beautiful website, by the way. Uh, uh, You know what? It's just, Candice, we want to thank you for bringing such a loving, uh, uplifting spiritual practice together in, in one area. It's allowing it to support others in infinite ways. It's just... Um, really magical when you get to see this it really is a support system and we certainly need that yes and it's it's actually a form to me it's it's a more profound form of worship than anything i've ever done in a traditional religious service because when you really feel when you get that information when you feel the love from the person who's come to talk to the soul and you feel the soul's love and you feel god's love and presence in that circle, it just affirms that, yes, we do not die. This is not all there is. We go on, and we are not lost to each other forever. And that is something that people desperately need to get hold of, not intellectually, but in their hearts and spirits. And that's that, how you do that is have the experience of the healing circle. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. And uh, I'm sure that our listeners will want to get a copy of the book if they want to create their own circle. Absolutely. I hope they do. I hope they have so much fun with it. I really do. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me as a guest. Okay. Blessings. Bye-bye.